All right. Hello there and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim, we were just talking about Eric Roberts before the show began, just uh, the, the work ethic of that man. And here we are, you know, planning our summer vacations. Uh, I feel bad now. Yeah, we do. Uh, well, you do do a lot more podcasts <laughs> than I do, <laughs> but I need a vacation from every three weeks on here. It's just so intense. I know. And, and talking about Eric Roberts. Yeah, we're talking about Nepo babies. And then we got on to like famous siblings. <laughs> And Eric Roberts, brother of Julia Roberts. And we found out he made, what, 33 movies in 2013? 33 movies in 2013, that's right. This guy's a hard worker. He's making he a just... movie every week and a half that year. <laughs> that's crazy. That is crazy. It just makes us all feel like slackers. It's, He's... uh, yeah. Nose to the grindstone kind of guy. Nose to the grind. Well, it shows. He's, uh, just kidding. So... Just that's kidding, Eric looks. Roberts. No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get on his bad side. Oh, definitely not. Uh, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here at uh, we're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new crime thriller drama, Master Gardener, which you can now stream on any of the VOD sites. So that's your Cineplexes, your YouTubes, your Googles, your Apples. Um, your Microsofts, your Amazons, you can get in anywhere. Uh, you do have to pay. It's a rental charge. Uh, but before that, though, uh, I imagine Master Gardener, uh, given some of the reviews I've seen, might be in the discussion for one of the best movies released in 2023 so far. We are almost in the middle of July, so we're a, a bit behind um, making such determinations for ourselves. But... Uh, the time has come to maybe look at some of the best movies uh, for us that we have seen so far in 2023. Tim, let's start with just uh, a general evaluation. How do you think 23 has gone so far in terms of movies? It's perhaps been the most normal movie year since uh, the pandemic. So yeah. uh, maybe it's maybe it's a maybe it's a good time to judge just where we are in the in whole quality of movies and the discourse kind of thing. Yeah, it's a good time. We're over halfway through the year. I find like I find that so many like great movies are released near the end of the year. We were talking mm -hmm. about this before we came on air, where I'm watching, you know, like I watched Banshees of Inisherin in January, mm -hmm. but I didn't put it on my list, although it'd be like number one on the on my list. It's better than the movies I'm talking about. But you know, that was released in December, then I saw it in January twenty twenty three. So at this point in the year, there's, you know, we've had quite a few summer hits have come out, some more under the radar films. So I've liked what I've seen. I just haven't seen a high quantity yet. I tend to watch uh, more because I'm into like a lot of the art house movies and stuff. And they, a lot of them come out later in the year. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of anticipation too coming up in a couple weeks with Barbie and Oppenheimer and, Yep. you know um, the, the greatest so, double bill ever yeah yeah so which one are you gonna see first uh i'll probably do oppenheimer because i just want to uh i want to use uh barbie as a palate cleanser after that that's that's a good call yeah, yeah. 
That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Don't want to uh, think about the end of the world. Although who knows, Barbie might think about the end of the world after watching that. I'm yeah. Not sure. Bar- Barbie might be like, uh, you know, sex bob we're here to make you think about death and stuff um that would be an interesting deke for for barbie but i just my feeling is you know christopher nolan's self-seriousness brought to the life story of the man who built the atomic bomb is probably going to be something of a downer but uh yeah i, I don't want to get too presumptuous yeah it's probably not going to have an uplifting ending to it well i'm <laughs> <laughs> certainly <laughs> certainly the real life story didn't quite have an uplifting ending but uh no uh, let's talk about some of the movies that have come out so far so we've each prepared like three of what we think are the best movies released so far in 2023 so tim start us off with uh your first pick okay so i'm going like reverse order so i'm saying okay. the third best i've seen so far this year i picked blackberry mm-hmm. the uh comedy drama about of course blackberry research in motion um and so it hits close to me because i went to school in waterloo so Mm -hmm. it's an interesting nostalgia trip Mm -hmm. um i remember even my first year university we did a stock market competition and everyone it was like 97 98 and the (laughs) thing to do was to buy research in motion and short sell nortel oh and it's (laughs) interesting It's interesting <laughs> foreshadowing to what happened to BlackBerry because ten years later, I'm sure he had the same competition to be short sell BlackBerry and buy something else. So yeah, yeah. Um, and I really liked the movie. Obviously, it's based on a on a book, and there's some truth in it. But I think there's a lot of artistic license in it. Yeah. Um, Matt Johnson, who directs it, also acts in it. Very quirky guy, and bringing a lot of comedy to it. Uh, and you know there's some some great lines in it and i'm like did jim balsilly who so you've got like you've got some real archetype characters here you've got (laughs) the uh the nerd played by jay baruchel who's really into the technology playing mike lazarus um you have um glenn howerton playing jim balsilly who's this you know alpha gordon gecko type businessman right yeah and so we we see research in motion struggling there's another company that's taking advantage of them trying to almost make them go bankrupt and and jim balsilly who's just been fired from his job sees an opportunity to come in take over and steer the ship and the conflict between the characters their personalities really makes for some really comedic moments but then also some you know sad moments as well um Mm. especially like with the ending and seeing how it's all going downhill for the company after the meteoric rise Mm. uh it's and but i really i like the comedy but then matt johnson's bringing stuff to it that's not didn't really happen because I looked up. Did Jim Balsilly really say the, the vampire? He lives where the vampires are in Waterloo, <laughs> and then that turns out that's a viral video from somebody who was interviewed at Young Dundas Square in Toronto. Some, uh, some somebody with some, some some mental issues is being interviewed. It's, Looks it's like a straight laced guy, and then he's just like, "I'm from Waterloo, where the vampires are." And it's a great line, though yeah it's an awesome line yeah so it's like yeah he, he's sort of cherry picking things and bringing a lot a lot of humor to it and it really takes you to that that 
time and place with and it's really good commentary on sort of fun in the workplace which is the they're having movie nights and mm. uh, having all this fun but it wasn't really leading to good business so then jim bell silly comes in and brings in like operate this hard hard ass operations manager who's just like you gotta get down to work and mm-hmm. so what's it like when the joy leaves but the you're reaping financial rewards you know right. is it about the love or uh, of of what you're doing and the passion or is it all about the money uh you know we've seen that before but it's done in a quirky way here Mm-hmm. And also going back, I remember Jim Bell silly, you know, trying to buy all these hockey teams. And that's brought up too, like his priorities. It's like the business is struggling. And here, here he is trying to get the Pittsburgh Penguins yeah. to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins and move them to Hamilton. You know, like it it's like too crazy to be true, but a lot of it is true. And it was a great sort of nostalgia trip, and it just also shows uh you know shows what can happen in business like i said like nortel had similar issues and then blackberry and Mm. it it, you know it it makes you makes you think about what's important in life in a lot of ways and it's just really really funny really funny lines and i enjoyed it a lot and it's great that it's a canadian movie Mm -hmm. from an ontario filmmaker in english that's actually a really good movie yeah Um, yeah because those are can be a rarity yeah, it's been a strong year for Canadian movies uh, so far. Uh, you know, between Bl- Blackberry and Brother, and I love, I like movies. Um, the only thing that kept it off my list was just like I'm, I feel too close to it because it is kind of a localish story, and it it seemed to Blackberry seemed to transcend like a typical Canadian release, which is like Canadians barely notice it. Like a lot of American reviewers have taken time out to check out Blackberry too. Because it's at South by and uh, Slam Dance and a couple of big festivals like that. Um, my first put, po- and I- these are in no particular order, by the way. Uh, my first pick is a documentary called "Still," a Michael J. Fox movie. It's from Davis Guggenheim, who did uh, "An Inconvenient Truth" and he called me Malala and a lot of other really great documentaries. Um, so this is in really good hands. It is partially a career retrospective about Michael J. Fox and his meteoric rise to stardom and, you know, getting the gig on family ties, which translated into getting the gig in back to the future. And then kind of a career doldrums in the the mid nineties. And before he had a big comeback with going back to TV with spin city. Um, But interspliced with a lot of that is just his sort of what, what his life looks like now um, as someone who's, uh, managing his Parkinson's and you know a lot of it, there's a lot of scenes of him like doing these exercises which seem kind of rudimentary but you know it's like him walking down the street and trying to like keep a uh like a a, a regular pace and, and you know not tr- trying to move too fast not moving too slow but trying to like walk purposefully down a street um and about you know, how he kind of copes with that and how his family copes with that and how they try to keep an upbeat attitude, um, how he tries not to let the disease defeat him. But also, like, it doesn't shy away from the fact that, you know, when you have Parkinson's, like, your your bed frame is, uh, is a dangerous object because suddenly you could 
have this involuntary twitch and it'll it'll trip you up and you fall forward and smack your face on the bedpost. Like there's mm-hmm. uh there's these interview segments where you can see he has a a black eye because something like that happened to him. He he just he fell at the wrong time and hit his head in the wrong way and hmm. um it it's such a it's such a very uh unshallow, the opposite of shallow um kind of way of looking at his career. And the way yeah, you know, the way Guggenheim, master of editing, um, he uses archival footage, recreations, um, outtakes, uh, scenes from like Back to the Future and and Family Ties and all these movies like Secret of My Success, The Hard Way. He just uses it all to tell like this really beautiful story about how this man who still is a star, but, you know, he's coping with this like very serious real world stuff and how his world changed, how he was once like on top of the world and how he had to change his expectations for himself and his life. And, and um, it really cements Michael J. Fox as an icon. I mean, Canadian uh, from Edmonton. So there's another Canadian connection too. So, um, and it's 90 minutes long. It's so breezy, but it's, 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 it's deep as well. It's, it's just a really great solid, uh, look at the life of a man who you know has some challenges but uh is um i think i think i think i think it provides a lot of understanding about michael j fox and also i think justifies a lot of the the michael j fox love he he is a man who uh is has taken on this great challenge and is wearing it well and the, the movie's a lot of fun so still a michael j fox movie that's a good pick on Apple TV Plus if you get that service. So uh, that's worth checking out. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yes. I haven't seen it. Yes. But yeah, it's uh, quite the life, you know. It's just <laughs> what a great, great actor and movie star. And then ha- all these challenges he's gone through. So it'd be, mm-hmm. yeah, have to yes. check it out. Yes, check it out. All right, let's get to uh, your number two. My number two pick, we spoke about it briefly off air before I picked Asteroid City Mm -hmm. um, by Wes Anderson as my number two. Um, And I did tell you off air that I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, but I Mm -hmm. never started off as a big Wes Anderson fan. So like the (laughs) Royal Tendenbaum, I've never liked when I saw it. When I first saw it, I didn't like it. And then I thought it must be everyone talks about it. And I watched it again and wasn't a big fan. But I really like Asteroid City, and it I, I feel like it's one of his better movies that I've seen up there with like Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it works so well. Um, I know there are like dark undertones to it. There's a lot about grief. I'm sure that's that's baked into it. But to mm-hmm. me, it was like it was so funny and light that it was like eating cotton candy. <laughs> and but i really i really enjoyed it it was like it was just it's, it's a sweet movie in a lot of ways and i think it just works so well S- such great timing um great comedic timing but there's also uh, really good s- s- scenes where you know dealing with grief dealing with um expectations i think the kids in it are excellent Mm -hmm. so you've got all these 
Brainiacs. One of them even has a patch on his shirt that says Brainiac. Mm -hmm. um, That's how you mother, know. His mother, <laughs> his late mother, uh, made that for him. Uh, and I think there's just a great look to the film, too. This sort of like pastel sort of desert look. I was mm. wondering where it was filmed. I thought it might be like New Mexico, and it turns out it was in Spain, which yeah. I guess makes makes sense too um <laughs> spain is where you go when you want the american west but not the american west yeah yeah <laughs> and uh so they're all these gifted children are there for the stargazers convention um and they've they're just geniuses who've who've invented all these great devices and uh the whole thing is that this is a play we're watching Mm -hmm. that um also it's like on tv and black and white mm -hmm. and so there's all these sort of like conceits but i i liked it i liked when because it really it was i like how it shifted tones and shifted colors so that when you're watching what's to me like the main film in asteroid city uh with the desert look and then th then cutting back to the edward norton character as the the playwright uh and in black and white i thought i really liked all that sort of behind the scenes stuff um and you have a, obviously a great cast for this mm -hmm. but i feel like they're in the in something like this they, they are interchangeable mm -hmm. like B bill murray couldn't make it because he had covid so steve carell plays his character as the um the hotel manager. The yeah. hotel manager. And there's funny details like the uh, vending machines <laughs> that you can buy yeah. real estate from. That's and, right. Yeah, I, I thought that was that was a lot of fun. And it, uh, it, it just it flowed together so well. And the fact that, you know, the uh, the children don't know their mother has passed and Jason Schwartzman playing the lead character there it, it, filled with grief can't tell them it's three weeks later mm -hmm. he finally finally tells them and Tom Hanks is in it I think it's first time in a Wes Anderson film yep um playing the uh playing the father father-in-law who, who doesn't like uh <laughs> yeah. doesn't like jason schwartzman but yeah. I, I yeah he does a great job in that and i think there's just one of the best cameos ever by jeff goldblum in it yep, yep. um when he's backstage discussing his part his part that doesn't have any lines and how he's playing it i, I think it's hilarious and i i like the sh shifts and tones and, and when the um visitor comes Mm -hmm. for the meteorite i love that it's just no words everybody's just looking up in shock because i think that's like what people would do you just even though it's kind of an artificial movie this wes anderson movie i think that's realistic like if something like that happened people would just be looking on in awe and shock and <laughs> and yeah I, I i loved it i thought it uh it played really well um and i I think it's yeah for me right up there with Grand Budapest Hotel for my favorites that he's done. Mm. Um, 
And Scarlett Johansson is great in it as playing the uh, Hollywood star um, Midge. Yep. I think she does a great job in it. I think she's a great actor. I think sometimes because of her looks, um, people don't give her as much credit as she deserves. And in this, she is playing on the looks, being the Hollywood star that's there who has a genius child. Um, (laughs) But I... I, I think she's a great actor, like what she did in Marriage Story and uh, Jojo Rabbit and some of her other roles under the skin. She's been in some really interesting movies. And I think she does really well here as playing. And what I liked about it is there's people who are depressed, but it's still fun, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so she's in the bathtub, depressed, and you're like, oh, oh man, is she... It's almost like she could be suicidal, but it's still the lines are just so much fun. And the photographer played by uh, Jason Schwartzman, like taking her picture and, <laughs> yeah. you know, do you mind if I take your picture? And then she's like, do you want to take a nude of me? And it's done very sort of tastefully. And I just thought it, it all works really well. Whereas I don't want to like put down his other movies, but Royal Tenenbaums has a lot of dark content. I just felt it didn't have that lightness to it. And I think mm. now it's almost as he gets older, I think, like there's a Bob Dylan lyric where I was so much older then I'm younger than that now. Yeah. Where I think Wes Anderson is so comfortable now in his own skin and what he's doing as a filmmaker that he he can take on these sort of dark subject matter but still have a lightness to it and, and humor to it that I think transcends it. So mm. I really I really like this film and I highly recommend it. You, yeah, you might be right. I, I again before the show, I was talking about how I think I talked myself into liking it more than I thought I did uh, reviewing it last week. But it's definitely something I, I want to revisit uh, once it hits VOD. Um, my second pick is, and it's interesting because after watching Master Gardener, I was making this list, and I was like, you know what, this movie feels more like a Paul Schrader movie than the Paul Schrader movie. It's how to blow up a pipeline. And it's from director Daniel Goldhaber. And it's about these, I think it's eight of them, eight kids who develop a plan to go to Texas uh, and blow up, well, as the title says, blow up a pipeline. Um, they've t- it, it follows them as the, they plan it and how they take great care into making sure that they don't damage the environment too much um, in blowing up a pipeline. Uh, it's an oil pipeline, by the way. Um, it shows their their different reasons and rationales for wanting to do it. Um, so she, who's the main character, is kind of the mastermind of it, and uh, her her school friend Theo uh, have both been kind of affected by, let's say, climate disasters. Theo has uh, terminal cancer because uh, she grew up in a town with a oil refinery. Um, so she's mother passed away from what's called a like a freak heat wave. Um, because you know they didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. Um. Everybody else is like uh, affected in different ways. Like there's this character Dwayne who, whose farm or a ranch, I guess it was, was taken away in imminent domain in order to build the pipeline, and he's on the a brink of destitution. He has a young family um, because they were trying. They went to court to try and stop their ranch from being taken away. So everybody has been like adversely affected by this heinous evil oil company and uh they're gonna take their revenge um 
there's my favorite character is probably Michael, who's this young indigenous man who's kind of their explosive expert, entirely self-taught, uh, played by an actress named uh, an indigenous actor named Forrest Goodluck. Um, and he's just so acerbic and um, terse uh, until like the one scene where they're going to blow up the pipeline and they've loaded the the drums onto the into the van. And he just turns around and says, just want you to know I'm very proud of all of you. And then turns and goes to get in the car. <laughs> it's it's his perfect little character <laughs> moment where he lets the veil fall just ever so briefly. Yeah. But uh, obviously, it doesn't go all according to plan. Uh, I don't want to spoil it because it, it really does feel like a. It feels like a, a like a Paul Greengrass kind of thriller dressed up as like one of these deeply cynical Paul Schrader movies uh, that has its finger on the hot button of the day. Um, it's it feels kind of incendiary um so i'm wondering like what happens if this like becomes more popular if it like catches on on v i'm not suggesting that it's going to prompt people to blow stuff up in the name of protecting the environment but mm-hmm. it just feels like it has some dangerous ideas to it that um i i don't think you get in a lot of movies uh and and you know it, it was a good time it was a good time it was a thoughtful time all the actors in it are really great and um it, it out Schrader's Schrader, I think, it's, when we get into Master Gardener in a minute, but mm-hmm. it's well worth checking out. It's available on all the VOD platforms right now. So how to build a pipeline it, or how Sounds to blow good. up a pipeline, I should yeah. say. So like like you're thinking like first reforms or like the eco-terrorism and that kind of thing? Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. There's, I was thinking about first reformed uh, yeah. a bit. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's get to the last picks. Okay, my uh, first my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. It's no surprise given how I reviewed it. I think maybe on the last show, I like movies, mm-hmm. um, which is another Canadian movie mm-hmm. uh, taking place in Burlington, uh, uh, directed by Chandler Levac, who uh, based on the name thought it was maybe a male director and then found out a female director. So that's, that's interesting as well. Um, and it was based on her real, life experiences but she changed it from uh, a girl to a boy um, mm-hmm. about an socially inept 17 year old who wants to be a filmmaker loves loves uh, likes movies but he really loves movies um, <laughs> and it's it's got a sort of a, a premise probably seen before I'm thinking like super bad he's like a Jonah Hill who's actually maybe nastier than Jonah Hill Mm-hmm. But in some way more likable for me, uh, watching yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though he's more nasty to people and puts people down, he, I li- I liked him. And Isaiah Letnin plays that role, and I think it, it it's an amazing job performance he delivers. So hopefully he has some more opportunities in the future to make some some great films. Um, and yeah, he wants to be a filmmaker, and he's got these big plans. He wants to go to the Tisch School. Um in the states the top film school he doesn't want to go to any of these other universities and there's some great jokes like he's like why do i want to go to guelph i want to go to university of guelph yeah (laughs) and just sort of funny stuff we can laugh at um from an ontario perspective and yeah and so he's got his best friend so it's kind of like super bad in a way he's got his best friend all he does is hang out with him they've got rejects night where they watch saturday night live um, mm-hmm. On Saturdays, when everybody's out, out partying, all their classmates and um, 
and he yeah he's really focused on being a filmmaker and then he gets sort of a dream job for him in a video store and uh, it's uh, yeah it's a lot of fun how he talks to customers and he uh recommends todd solemn's happiness to some customers Mm -hmm. um as a romantic comedy (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and 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 his interaction with his boss as well who's tried to make it in the film industry as an actress and and dealt with a lot of the toxicity that's in that industry and uh i i I think it works really well and the fact that he's you know lost his father he's got a single mother raising him there's a lot of great dramatic moments in it Mm -hmm. but a lot of really cutting comedy and this kid's obviously he's hurting but he says the funniest things too it's just (laughs) you know you can't help but laugh like when he's putting down people or uh, it's or like yeah i don't want to uh, growing up in Burlington, you can you can sense it, right? Like yeah. he's growing up in the <laughs> suburbs here. He's not he doesn't like where he is. Um and he's lashing out about it. But as much as he lashes out, as much as he says some really brutal things, I really liked him. Really liked this this movie. I think it's got a lot of empathy for the characters mm. and is really funny at the same time. Mm. And it's cool. It's a Canadian low budget film yeah. that I hope others can see like if you go on wikipedia it says it's a 2022 film because it was at tiff and it won awards at the vancouver film festival but it was released widely in march of this year and i would say definitely check it out i like movies i loved i like movies i thought it was really good (laughs) that's my tagline for that um i have uh something not quite in the same vein for my uh last pick it's called infinity pool uh it is from <laughs> canadian director brendan cronenberg yeah. um i think brendan we talked about nepo babies before uh i, I think brendan cronenberg is with this has sort of officially shirked that designation off uh, i think he sort of set himself up as kind of a, a rightful heir to his, his father's uh crown for for body horror um i don't want to spoil the the plot too much essentially it's about a couple uh, what well, well, you might have once called a yuppie couple who are in this uh resort, um, in in some some place. I think it's implied it's kind of like the like Black Sea area of Eastern Europe. So, um, they're having a good time. They meet this other couple. Uh, one of the the female partner of which is played by Mia Goth. Um, they have a night or uh, they have a day out and about in the area outside of the resort and stuff happens that leads them through a journey of the the dark side of of this country and and how they dole out justice for the ultra wealthy tourists so that they don't dissuade tourism um it's kind of dark it's kind of bizarre it opens these bizarre channels of of these bizarre hedonistic channels for the the main character alexander skarsgård who is here playing kind of like nebbish he's a writer but he's kind of like a failed writer so he's kind of a fraud in a way um i find this version of alexander skarsgård fascinating because here is this like man made in marble this like just utterly beautiful man who's constantly trying to walk around with his like 
hunched over and and, and trying to be nebbish. Like I, I, I always think about his his role in Kong versus Godzilla, where he's like dressed like Marty McFly and he's like this ultra nerdy. Like when we meet him, he's like all disheveled and hanging out in his basement office at some <laughs> no nothing university. And it's like, I don't know what it is about Alexander Skarsgård who wants to just like completely divorce himself from his like uber mensch Hollywood A-lister good looks, but I'm here for it. And Infinity Pool plays into that because it's also all about Mia Goth being alpha Mia Goth. And uh, just when she's like taunting him, at one point in the film and the way she says the name James over and over again, it's like nails on a chalkboard, but it's a, it's, it's so like mesmerizing and hypnotic too. Uh, it's a great showcase for them. Uh, it's a great showcase for Brandon Cronenberg, who, again, I, I, I think calling him a Nepo baby at this point is probably inappropriate. I think, I think he is sort of set up for like a really great long career of really interesting and compelling films um potentially also really gross films but um i'll leave that there that's uh, that's like father like son right like father like son, <laughs> that's right <laughs> um st- speaking of sticking to what you know we're going to review paul schrader's master gardener coming up after the break you're listening to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio you to take my on as an apprentice i will provide transportation and minimum wage with adjustments you will teach her how to tend a garden as well as classes in horticulture and so forth what age is she i'm not sure 20 no more how long has it been since you've seen her i haven't that's your job. She's family. Gracewood is family. And you would like me to respond how? I was hoping you'd say, Norma, it would be a pleasure to be of assistance to your grandniece. Norma, it would be a pleasure to be of assistance to your grandniece. And that was a clip from Master Gardener. It's the new film from writer and director Paul Schrader, and it stars Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, Quintessa Swindell, Eduardo Lawson, Victoria Hill, and Isai Morales. Uh, interesting seeing Isai Morales here because uh, I know he's also the villain in Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, Part One. So, uh, resurgence. <laughs> it's the Isai Morales res- Renaissance. Yeah, Isai Mor- Morales <laughs> Summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. He's a great actor, though. Um, so Master Gardener follows uh, the third part in what I've heard called the Sad Man trilogy. So Paul Schrader's yeah. last three films have been first reformed, 
uh, the yeah. card counter and now Master Gardener about men who live these sort of rigorously controlled and meticulous lives uh, as they're trying to live with this, I guess, the sins of their past or the mistakes of their past. And then they are confronted with uh, a person who requires them to revisit those mistakes and perhaps decide whether or not they can break from them once and for all. And Master Garden is very much a pe- of, a, of a piece with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know, Tim, you're a big fan of First Reformed. Uh, yeah. I know we reviewed Card Counter together last year. So what did you yeah. think of Master Gardener? Yeah, and I they sad man, they say man at a table, I think is what uh, <laughs> That's right. Paul Schrader said, because they're all at a table writing in their journals, right? This mm-hmm. is the main conceit in them. Um, I like this a lot. You mm. know, if I was to be, you know, really statistical here I don't know numbers based I I give like first reform to 10 out of 10 I think that's a masterpiece Mm. I think card counter had some issues for me I give it like a 6 out of 10 I'd probably give this one uh, master gardener an 8 out of 10 Mm. I thought I thought it was really well done really compelling Um, the only thing is it could have used some more explosive moments I think Mm. Um, is, which is what First Reformed had, mm-hmm. um, but it's very restrained. It's more restrained than the other ones. Like Card Counter had all those like Guantanamo Bay flashbacks mm-hmm. and a lot of disturbing content. And this being, I don't think we're um, giving any spoilers away. This is a white supre- former white supremacist who's a gardener. He's mm-hmm. committed crimes in the past. And he's reforming himself in a way, like first reform, reforming himself uh, in this job that he's devoted all his energy into when he lost his fam, his family's left him um, because of his crimes. And uh, he's now devoted himself to gardening and he knows everything about gardening and he's very meticulous with it and he reads a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And um, so he's an interesting character in, in that standpoint. But given his brutal past, I think it's a very restrained movie, which I could have used more restraint in the card counter. <laughs> but in this, I could have used more explosive moments because it shows like flashbacks to him, like killing a man, but it cuts really quickly. Um, it's just sort of showing what he's done in his past. Mm. And in a way, although I really like the movie in a way, it sort of does gloss over it a little bit. Um, mm. And then you become you're you you like this character right which you know you can like have mixed feelings about that given mm-hmm. he was a proud boy or a white supremacist or whatever and he's killed people killed killed black man and and yeah has this really brutal past and then here he is you know as the the master gardener on this estate or sigourney weaver Mm-hmm. plays in it she's grace gracewood gardens she's the owner of it she brings him in and you see they have this relationship and w- what i liked about it too is you know paul schrader obviously is a student of film right he mm-hmm. really prides himself on that so there's that alfred hitchcock um 
credo for suspense, right? Where you can have two people on a train, mm-hmm. they're having a conversation and a bomb goes off. And that's like one or two seconds of a jump scare because mm-hmm. the bomb's gone off. But if you show the bomb under them and they don't know it's there, mm-hmm. it adds so much more suspense, uh, so much more anticipation about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So what what Paul Schrader does here is he has um, Joel Edgerton's character, Narvel Roth, has these tattoos. He reveals himself when he comes goes back from gardening one day to his his place where he writes in his notebook and takes his shirt off and you see these white pride tattoos mm-hmm. and you're like, when are, when are people going to see this? You know, what's yeah. going to happen? Yeah. And Sigourney Weaver's character as the owner, you see, okay, she has a relationship with him and it's almost like she gets off on these tattoos. I think like he takes yeah. the clothes off and she's examining them. And then she has, a biracial it was like her step niece by uh, her niece her her grand niece yes her sister's daughter's daughter yeah like a grand niece uh who's biracial and then she comes into the picture to be an apprentice to narvel roth and then you're you can see like there's a sort of flowering romance between them but like what's going to happen when he takes off his shirt right right um and that's handled with so much restraint that it's almost too much restraint, I think, in a way, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. There were moments, there were opportunities for some more explosive moments with it. I really liked how it all played out, but that would be my one thing that stops it from being like a 10 out of 10, um, keeps it at like an 8 out of 10, is it's very intellectual movie, which is great. It really, like, read between the lines, like, how are these characters interacting with each other? Narvel Roth with the uh, I'll get her name here, right? Um, Maya with Maya, yeah. like, like how are they? You know, like, what does she see in in him? And now, once she finds out some, the information, like, how is she processing that? Mm. So there's a lot, lot to think about. Um, however, I could have used a little less thinking and a little more action, I think would have made it at first reformed level. Yeah. And Joel Edgerton is very good in the lead role. Mm. I've looked up his credits and he's been in a lot of films that like, I don't remember him in and, uh, but I remember we reviewed the stranger, which was a real understated film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he, he did well in that. But he was playing off somebody else who was understated. So I could have used a little more crazed from him, which is what you get from Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. Yeah. Um, I think which is a better performance. Uh, he has more to do, more more levels to go to. And Edgerton does really well with the subtlety, but I could have used some more. Like there's a fantastical sequence in it like after they've made love or during they're making love where they're driving through these gardens <laughs> yeah <laughs> that are just flowering and he sticks his head out the window and he's shouting and Maya's Maya's like in ecstasy she's shouting he's shouting and that's like the one time where he like releases something that I could have used more of in the in this film yeah but I think it works well for what it is um I think it's definitely something I would recommend. Uh, 
it really makes you think. But I think he could have gone darker in certain areas and been more explosive in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I agree with a lot of your analysis. I I think, first of all, Joel Edgerton is really, really great. Um, I mean, he is that restraint. And one of the things you like you immediately notice about him is his self-control. He is desperately trying to paper over his history as a you know a white nationalist or a white supremacist or whatever you want. He's he's built this like really tightly controlled um buttoned up shell around himself. And you can see the way he walks around with his his hand inside his hands inside his overalls and the way he mm-hmm. talks and his diction. Everything is deliberate. Everything he says has been sort of not pre-planned, but uh, you know, he he he's he's very he's become very studious in terms of like he he doesn't want yes, you can't see the tattoos because he's wearing a shirt, <laughs> but yeah. it's like he doesn't want to give a hint that he's somebody who has those tattoos either. So he he's he's covering himself up in a number of ways. Um the the I, I think you're right. There isn't sort of enough dramatic friction in this. I think when Ma- when Maya sees the tattoos, I think Schrader was trying to do it in, in in a way that was not contrived. Like the contrived way was would be if she like accidentally saw them. Like mm-hmm. he, his shirt was open a little too much, or his sleeves were rolled up, and she, you know she finds them and his sleeves are rolled up. I, like he didn't want to do that kind of contrivance, but I, I really think there was there's kind of not enough. I mean, if you ran into someone and you know you saw that they had yeah. their body covered in Nazi swastikas <laughs> and uh, and different things, you'd probably react a little more surprising given everything that's going on nowadays. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it, there could have been some more, let's say, chemistry around that. The, the thing with Scorning Weaver, I'm glad you picked up on that too because there's that seat they're having an affair. Um, and and you know they go upstairs to her bedroom and she tells him to take his shirt off. So I mean it's it's very clear. Uh, wink. She's kind of getting off on yeah that part of it. And there's I mean the, the gardening al- analogy too, like master gardener. It's like yeah, you, there is such a thing as a master gardener, but it also f- sounds very much like master race. Mm-hmm. And there's been this long history, and you see this in the heat of the night too. That like the the big scene in the heat of the night is when they go and see the 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 guy who pretty much owns the town Endicott and Tibbs is questioning him and there where where is that happening it's happening in his greenhouse where he's talking about where he's comparing um living with black people like tending a garden and about having to carefully prune out the weeds and this sort of thing so and there's a bit of that in some of Sigourney Weaver's dialogue too which is you know, like mm-hmm. Like she's talking to Norval about her niece, and it's like the N words just on the tip of her tongue. It's yeah. on the tip of her tongue. She says half blood, and that's like half tips you off. Yes, right. yes, that was that was a that was an immediate like light bulb went off. It's like, what do you mean half blood? I think I know yeah. what you mean, but it's yeah. just it's this undercurrent. It's um, it's fascinating that he ends up this white supremacist ends up in this place where that undercurrent exists. Um, clearly, you know, Mrs. Havahall, uh, Haverhill, um, yeah, Norma, right? Norma, Norma is like very much walking up to that line every single day. 
and you know it there's so much potential here i i don't know if i wanted uh, schrader to do more i think there might be just enough but um it's just fascinating that this temptation is there and that he throws himself into gardening, which again has long had this like sort of analogy with like a lot of like people who think they're like racial scientists. Like they've long made that comparison that, you know, managing the races is like gardening. So it's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on around the edges. I think the meat of it is sort of where it feels. What what I find it interesting is that Schrader is abnormally optimistic here. It's yeah, it feels like, it's like a, a very happy off- ending kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there is a happy ending. Um what I find interesting about the Norval character is like he's kind of and maybe this plays into the the whole thing with the white supremacist uh thing and you know the fact that they like do dress up military things and like that. He's 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 someone who desperately needs direction. He takes it from this old this grizzled old man who's the head of his gang or whatever and then it's from mrs uh from miss haverhill and then later it's maya like he he like she, she comes in later after that she's discovered tattoos and she's like she tells him to take his shirt off she's like you're gonna have those removed and he says yes and so yeah. this is just a man who's like kind of needs somebody just to tell him what to do to what yeah. like what the right thing is um and and that's sort of like a fun a fun thing that the movie plays with as well. Yeah, I was thinking of that, like with the tattoos, because he's at one point she she says you're gonna have those removed, like mm-hmm. bef- before they're making love. Just like he's like, yeah, I didn't. I was thinking about it before, and I never did it. Yeah, and it made me almost think that maybe Norma Haverville Haverhill wants him to keep the tattoos, right? Yeah, but they don't get into it. But I know he Paul Schrader wants to be so subtle and mysterious that he wouldn't maybe explicitly say that but it would be Mm -hmm. good if i think it would help if if there was some mention of that or like just something just would have added more to it that he's having to like keep playing the role for mrs haverville here that he wants Mm -hmm. to get away from Mm -hmm. um and like i think paul schrader could have gone darker with this which is interesting because in um the card counter i thought it was a little too much like all these guantanamo bay flashbacks mm-hmm. and in this it's like okay it's from an artistic standpoint it's cool you see the gun the bullet coming out of the gun and he compares it to gardening and mm-hmm. stuff from his past but it, it would have made the movie even more uncomfortable mm-hmm. and controversial but mm-hmm. i think if they went deeper into what his past was Maybe even mm-hmm. what Maya's past, like you can see her situation um, in this sort of bad neighborhood with, you know, drug dealer boyfriend who who's <laughs> abusive and stuff. But they could have, I think, gone more in into this, and then like they're making love, and he has the tattoos, and she's still making love, and she's like, "You're gonna have those removed." But it's like what they, I think, he could have gone a lot more controversial than he did. Mm-hmm. which I don't know if it would have made it a better movie, but maybe it would have. Cause I think it just needs a little more. Like I, I keep saying like explosiveness to it. It just needs, I think it needs a little more action. I really, I agree with you. Joel Edgerton's really good in that subtle understated character. But I think if he was playing off of his past a little more and we saw like that something he did, like we see snippets of it, but 
like some brutality that he did. Mm-hmm. I think, and then seeing what he's trying to escape from, I think it would have added more to the to the film. Um, right. Whereas in like Card Counter, he keeps going back Guantanamo Bay, and it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. But like with this, I think having one even one scene that's like a couple minutes long that's really sort of disturbing mm-hmm. actually might have helped the overall film yeah because in yeah. first reformed and card counter the threat kind of comes from within um in you know in first reformed it's like this person that's like part of his congregation and uh in card counter it's th- this kid who he has like they have like a mutual enemy in common so it, it's like somebody comes in and, and kind of reminds them explicitly of what the what the past is what the stakes of their current life are and that just like it, it's interesting that maya comes in and she's biracial but it doesn't feel like Schrader wants to do anything with that um you know there it, it's implied that the thing that turned norval was that he was sent to murder uh, a black pastor but didn't murder the pastor's family even though they saw what he did so this person clearly had some lines they didn't they they wouldn't cross and didn't want to cross and i feel like that's sort of the delta that's missing from this it's like how does this man and it's mentioned all the time it's mentioned by isai morales who's his like handler for for the witness protection program like he's a model member of the witness protection program um, he has, you know, kind of carried himself with sort of exemplary behavior. So it's not like he was like a true believer who's like struggling to overcome these demons of the past. I, there, there is something missing in terms of like fully understanding this character. Uh, I, I appreciated Norval's restraint, but when we see in that flashback, he's he's kind of a restrained guy. He wasn't like a full on sort of like blood obsessed white supremacist he, he was kind of very much just like kind of work a day kind of like give me an order yeah. i'll execute it kind of white supremacist either so i, I feel like that there, there's, there's definitely a part of that missing too it just doesn't feel like he's challenged as as, as one of schrader's heroes i want to if i can use that word in the, in the same way that ethan hawk is in first reformed or the way oscar isaac is in in card counter there, there just isn't that sort of out inside challenge um, coming back into his life that I think is kind of missing, but what do I know? I yeah. didn't write Taxi Driver. <laughs> no, that's the original Man at a Table film, yes, right? It is. Yes, it is. Yeah, I I did really I, I I really liked this film. I think First Reform's the best I've ever seen Paul Schrader direct. Yeah, um, he's done a lot of other very good movies that I think he like maximized, mm-hmm. like. I think like autofocus is very interesting that mm-hmm. I've seen and um, light sleeper also with Willem Dafoe. He did mm-hmm. is really, really good, really good movies, but I don't think he could have got more out of them. And with this one, I think, yeah, to me it's like an eight or a 10, but it could have been a, even better. I think there were, were some chances he could have taken that would have, I think. Yeah. Brought it to another level, but I, I think I really yeah. liked it. I, I really liked it too, but I think we've reached the limitations of what uh, a man sitting at a table can tell us about um, today. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe he's now sort of free to 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 take up different uh, different types of 
hero characters now. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And you can stay connected to us at our website and creditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where else can people find you on the internet? On the internet, social media, Flash in the Deadpan. Check me out. Interact. (laughs) Let me know what you think about Paul Schrader. (laughs) Yeah, don't make... Don't don't let Tim be a sad man. Um, oh, yeah, I'm a man at the table. Actually, you can find my journal entries, which I'll be releasing shortly. <laughs> Can't wait to read those entries. <laughs> I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics and Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return, of course, next week for more and credits Wednesday at 3 p.m. And we will see you then. Thank you.